everyone. Uh, my name is Matt. It's good to see you all. We are continuing our series, Making Room for What Matters Most. Uh, today, we're going to talk about making room for the practice of generosity toward the poor, toward the vulnerable, um, those in need. I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And while you're pulling that up or, or finding that, I also want to let you know we're going to be celebrating communion at the end of our time together this morning, so we'll talk more about that uh, when we get there. All right, 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, keep in mind, this is a personal letter. Paul is writing this to a church, like a group of believers in a city called Corinth. And so because of that, like any letter between two people or two groups of people where you don't know them or you're not there, there's a whole range of history and context and shared experience and reading between the lines, all kinds of things taking place. The Corinthians receiving this, though, would have immediately known what Paul was talking about. The challenge for us is we read this 2,000 years later without some of that context, and it's like, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, you get the sense, though, that there must be some kind of a story here. Like, for example, who are the Macedonians Paul's talking about? Why are they so poor? Why does Paul say to the Corinthians, hey, you should know about the Macedonians and, and their generosity, and, and who are they giving money to? So we have all kinds of questions. I want to give a little bit of context here because it, it has a lot to do with what does this mean for us today. So just to back up, uh, Acts chapter 1, of course, gives the story of the start of the church. That is years before Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Acts chapter 1 says this, then the apostles Returned to Jerusalem from the, the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were, and Luke lists the disciples, and then in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers who were going, I guess he was telling the truth after all. Long story. Uh, anyway, I want to show you, we got to do some maps today, so get ready to get pumped. Uh, yeah, I love, I love the maps. Um, just to give you context, this is, of course, modern-day Israel. This is modern-day Turkey. Moving to the west is Greece, and then you can see a little bit of Italy and the top of, like, northern Africa. So, the church begins, Acts chapter 1, lower right-hand corner of the map, right there in Jerusalem. And in many ways, it begins with this handful of people huddled together going, we have no idea what in the world we're doing. Maybe we should pray. <laughs> Let's pray together. Um, if you turn a few chapters to the right over to Acts chapter 11, 
And I realize this is a little bit hard to see on this, perhaps, but I'm trying to show you maybe the, the, the geography of this is kind of the point. Acts chapter 11, a persecution breaks out against the Christians in Jerusalem, and it says this, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So you see again, church starts in Jerusalem, bottom right-hand corner, persecution breaks out, a bunch of believers head up the coast to a place called Antioch to the north, and then northwest to that island um, called, called Cyprus. Cyprus and Antioch, what's interesting about these places is they have large numbers of people, unlike Jerusalem, of non-Jewish people. So now you have Gentiles, you have Greeks and Romans uh, hearing about Jesus. So believers are going out to these other places. My point is, from early on, we see the message of Jesus kind of going beyond its own tribe, its own boundaries. By Acts chapter 13, we're not very far into the story, but the Apostle Paul joins the other disciples in, in spreading this message. Acts chapter 13 says, the two of them, Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia. They went from here to here. They go to this island, and, and there on Cyprus, they begin talk, talking about uh, Jesus. Skip down to verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. This is the mainland, again, modern-day Turkey. And these people hear about Jesus. So all I'm trying to show you is they go from here to here, and these people hear about Jesus. They go here. These people hear about Jesus. It just keeps on spreading. If you turn the page to Acts chapter 14, and you don't have to remember these, these names or these places... Uh, I'm just trying to help us visualize the spread of the church so that we can make sense of what Paul is, is saying to the Corinthians about the Macedonians. Paul and his companions head further inland. In the next chapter, uh, chapter 14, they go to Derbe, Iconium, another Antioch, Lystra. Again and again, this message spreads. Can you see how it's getting farther and farther away from where it all started? Now, Paul wraps up his first missionary journey uh, at this point. He goes back home, or he goes to Antioch, and then he goes out again on a second missionary kind of expedition. He revisits these churches, and then he goes even further north into the west. He goes to a place called Troas. Acts chapter 16 talks about leaving from there. Now they're going over to this region of Macedonia, places like Philippi, which the letter to the Philippians in your Bible was written to these folks. A few verses later, they go down to Amphipolis, Apollonia, to Thessalonica. Your letters to the Thessalonians are written to those churches in that place. Um, by the way, this whole region is the Macedonia that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that we started with. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. Again, the, the nature of this message is that it wants to spread. It wants to go from beyond whatever the heritage, the family, the tribe, 
whatever customs or whatever, seems to have hemmed it in and said, it stays here. No, this message, there's something about its essence, there's something about its nature that it just keeps going beyond what anybody had ever seen before. And so this message that seemed to have caught on here among these people who dress this way and have these customs and traditions and eat these kinds of food, now is up here and different people, different customs. These people listen to different kinds of music or whatever it is. It just keeps spreading. So are you with me so far? General idea. Yeah. Paul, a few verses later, chapter 17, verse 5, they go down to Berea. Chapter 17, verse 15, then Paul and his companions go to Athens. I mean, now we're a long way from home, aren't we? I mean, this message has traveled quite a distance, covered a number of miles. And you can see all the places the good news has spread. In fact, right after this, Paul leaves Athens and he goes for the first time to Corinth, which is the letter that we're, we're reading this morning. Now, at the same time that all of this is happening, that this message is spreading farther and farther and more people are hearing about Jesus uh, now way out in the Greco-Roman world, at the same time that's happening, something really difficult is happening in Jerusalem. First of all, there's another great persecution. Like if you're a believer living in Jerusalem while all this is happening, there is a reasonable chance you will experience opposition, persecution, or even be killed because of your association with Jesus. On top of that, we have historical record of a really severe famine in the year 46, Common Era. Like widespread famine in Jerusalem. People are starving, perhaps due to overpopulation or whatever, but it was a, it was a really big deal um, for the people there. And so while this message is going farther and farther, while all these new groups, all these new tribes are receiving Jesus, back in Jerusalem where this all started, they're in trouble. They're having a really hard time. And so what Paul, what the other apostles do as they're going around to all these places is they say, what we should do is take up a collection. We should ask these other believers, these other churches for like an offering so that people could pitch in and maybe we could give some money to go back to where this all began and people are having a hard time. And you actually see extensive evidence of this throughout Paul's letter. So he'll say, for example, to the Galatians, which is this region right here, he'll say, therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. He's referencing the, the group in Jerusalem. Or Paul writing the, the Corinthians in his first letter, he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. That's, he's talking about Jerusalem. Do what I told the Galatian church to do, which I just showed you. Um, there's actually a lot of evidence that suggests that this whole offering, part of it was the folks in, Corinthian, in Corinth who came up with the idea. Now, Something happens, oh, by the way, can I just settle one quick debate? Um, for Paul, for Paul, is it about planting churches and talking about Jesus and sharing the good news, or is it about caring for the poor and meeting people's tangible needs? Yes, yes, 
It's both. He actually does, he can do two things at once, simultaneously. It's the sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, planting churches, all that, and, and caring for the poor and meeting people's needs. So sometimes there's a debate about that for some reason, like you have to pick one or the other, and I, I, you can do both, apparently. So anyway, hopefully that settles that. Um, now, something happens in the course of collecting this money for the church in Jerusalem. Um, Paul's writing these believers in Corinth. And again, back when Paul was in Corinth visiting for the first time, he said to them, hey, we're doing this collection. Are you guys interested? And they said, yes, we want to participate. Um, In fact, we're going to get a bunch of money together. And Paul, when you come back through Corinth, we'll have it waiting. We'll even appoint some people that we'll send with you just to help make sure the money gets there safely uh, back to Jerusalem. Here's the problem. At the time of Paul writing to the Corinthians, the second Corinthians letter, at that moment, these believers who said they wanted to participate in this collection had collected approximately zero dollars. So they hadn't actually done any of the collecting. They want to be generous. They intend to be generous. Um, They just hadn't quite gotten around to be actually being generous. So Paul is going to have to kind of delicately address this. And so as he brings up this tricky subject, he alludes to something else that's been happening as basically a way of prompting them to follow through with what they said previously that they were going to do. Now, apparently, what's gone on, what's been happening is that in taking up this collection, all these other places, These folks up here in Macedonia got skipped. Nobody asked them to give money toward the church in Jerusalem. Why? Well, because everybody knows these people are really poor. They have nothing. And so that's going to be kind of awkward to bring that up to them. And we don't want them to feel bad. And so we just won't mention the offering to them. And that way we can get the money from other, other places and it'll all be good. Because everybody knows they don't have any money. So, this is what Paul is writing the Corinthians about. He says to them, and now, brothers and sisters, because Paul is going to be back in Corinth any day now, and he's going to be heading through with the money or with the offering on his way to Jerusalem. Paul is letting them in on an unexpected turn of events. And hopefully this all makes sense now. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us, for the privilege in sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Why does Paul say they urgently pleaded? The Macedonians pleaded with us. Because we skipped them. We skipped them in the collection. And so they came to us and said, we want to be a part of this. You have to let us be a part of giving money to help people in need in Jerusalem. 
And apparently these Macedonians, not only do they scrape together a surprising amount of money, we find out in the next chapter they also got a group of volunteers together to help a company, to help carry the money um, safely. And by the way, traveling in the first century, this is a long way from this, with bags of money. It's a risk-your-life, harrowing journey across land and sea. It was a really risky endeavor. But they do that as well. Um, question. Have the people in Macedonia ever met the people in Jerusalem? No, this is like the other side of the known world for them. But they say these people, these people in extreme poverty say, we want to help people on the other side of the world, known world we've never met. Paul then addresses the Corinthians in verse 7. He says, but you, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. What's Paul doing besides laying it on a little bit thick? Okay, this is an honor-shame culture, and there's things that they probably did that, rub, that would be heavy-handed for sure to us, okay? What he's doing is this, though. How do you let the Corinthians know? If I show up, by the way, I've already gone by. I've got the Macedonians there with me. I've got their money uh, and then I show up, and you, who said you were going to give, aren't giving. You're not going to want that to happen. Because, again, the Macedonians who have no money have somehow scraped together money and a whole team of volunteers, and they're, they are all in. And Paul says, I want to tell you a story. He says, I want to tell you a story about the grace that God has given the Macedonians. He's not saying to them, he's not saying to the Corinthians, hey, these guys are making you look like cheap jerks, okay? <laughs> he might be getting close to that, but he's, he's not actually doing that because he says, no, look, they've been given a grace by God. Like God's done something unique in their hearts and their lives. This is actually a grace from God that's enabling them to do this. Paul's talking about their, their riches in a very real sense, Although obviously not talking about their finances because they're really poor financially. Here's part of what this means. From the very beginning of the church, like the basic practice of the church is that you would give to people in need close to you and you'd give to people in need who are really far from you on the other side of the known world. That generosity is built into the DNA of what it means to be the church. Paul says these Macedonians, they have received something from God. He calls it a grace. He calls their desire to give to people they've never met, their fight to get in on that, to give money they really couldn't afford to give. He calls it a grace. And then he goes on. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Maybe we could say it this way. You can barely have any money and actually be really, really rich. You can also have lots and lots of money and actually be quite poor. Did you know that? You can, here's some people who barely have any money 
and yet whose spirit is so wide and bursting and generous, he says, in some strange way, they're actually phenomenally rich. He says their being is like loaded with the wealth of God. It's possible to give and it have almost nothing to do with actual dollars, for it to come from a generosity of being that understands essentially what's been lavished on you. Notice the Macedonians don't say, well, we got skipped in the offering because everybody knows we don't have anything we can give. No, they say, Paul, we want in. We want in. In fact, we're going to scrape money together. We don't know where we're going to get it, but we're in. We want to bless people we've never met on the other side of the world because this Jesus movement that we're now a part of, it started with them. And they're in trouble. And somebody needs to do something about that. And that someone is us. And so they do. And they say, look, our extreme poverty is not going to be a barrier to our joy. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, let me tell you, something that's happened up here in Macedonia. Because something has happened in their hearts and in their bank accounts and with their time, and their energy, and their passion, and I'm telling you, it is beautiful. And he kind of inverts their situation. He makes the, the poor people actually rich, which raises the question, are the rich people in Corinth actually poor? See, these Macedonian believers, they understood that generosity, giving freely, giving sacrificially, was a grace that it was an opportunity to trust God and to experience riches of another kind in return. First of all, the riches of joy, great joy that come from living generously. Paul goes on and a few verses later, he writes to the Corinthians, verse nine, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul is saying, at the heart of our worldview is the belief that God himself has been extraordinarily generous to us. That everything begins with a fundamental act of generosity. From our breath to the universe itself to the gift, of course, of Jesus and his life and his resurrection on our behalf. Maybe we could say it this, this way. Money and generosity are two completely different things. Money and joy are two completely different things. And that's important to note because sometimes we get tricked into thinking, well, if you just have a lot, then you're rich. Paul says, no, the Macedonians have nothing and their hearts are overflowing with joy, with generosity. One of the reasons I love this passage so much is, again, for all of us who are going, yeah, well, this generosity stuff is great, and that's an awesome thing for, like, millionaires. And Paul just keeps stressing, these people are poor, and yet in their poverty are capable of stunning generosity. He says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able even beyond their ability. How do you give beyond your ability? I think it's a figure of speech. 
I think Paul's just kind of going, look, they surprised, they surprised me. They surprised everybody. In a way, they kind of surprised themselves with what they were actually capable of at the end of the day. More than anyone expected. When you look at their situation, let me just ask you. When does generosity shine the brightest? When things are darkest. When times are, are hardest, actually. Generosity shines the brightest in those moments when we're like, what's going to happen with the economy? What about my stuff? And, and what if I give and then I don't have enough for later? Paul says these people, it turns out, are capable of way more than, they, than I realized, way more than they realized. And I bring all of this up to say this. I think the same is true of us. I believe that God has given us, individually and as a church, grace to be generous in our community. Um, and so what does all of this mean for us as a church in terms of generous with our time, our energy, our talent, and also generous with our money? Well, to answer that question, we would need another map, wouldn't we? Yeah, this one should be a little more familiar to everyone here. Um, I don't want to talk, as we wrap this up, I don't want to talk so much about the other side of the world, although we are called there and we are involved relationally, financially, we're all in invested with the partnership we have in Nicaragua, so we are doing that and we'll keep doing that. But I want to begin much closer to home, to our city where we are as a church in our community. And so let's, for a moment, not talk about the other side of the world. Let's talk about more or less the other side of some railroad tracks that are just about 100 yards south of this building. Um, as you know, if you've been here the last couple of months, we came out of 2022, a year of spiritual formation, spiritual growth, looking inward, doing some hard work, all good things. We have a lot to celebrate. But we intentionally came out of that, moving into this year, going, all right, how do we reach out to our community? I mean, the point of that inward journey is always that we would be compelled to go outward, that we would love God more so that we can love, better love our neighbor as ourselves. So there's always that. Um, the in leads to out in this, this whole overflow. So that's where we're going with this year. We just spent the whole last series talking about this idea of being moved with compassion and I hope laying the foundation for, for what's to come. What does it look like for us, in Paul's language, to give as much as we are able, even perhaps beyond our ability? What does it look like for us to excel in the grace of giving in our context, in our day? in this city where we believe God has called us to be. So a couple of really tangible, concrete, as, I'm gonna make this as concrete as possible. In terms of being more generous, taking steps uh, with being more generous with our time, our energy, our service, you probably noticed, if you've gotten coffee, for sure you have, the love your neighbor wall, right outside, right outside that wall right there, it says love your neighbor, can't miss it. Um, and then on, to the left of that are several, like, 12 framed, um, they look like this, 
and there's a little QR code. And what we have there are a handful of opportunities that right now you can engage in serving in the community. There are varying time commitments in terms of, you know, a couple hours or more involved, varying frequency in terms of one-off or monthly or whatever it is, but things ranging from helping serve food in different places to helping with some community gardens, again, in South Central or industry neighborhood, um, doing, some, doing some handiwork, lots of different opportunities. I'll call your attention to this one. On Tuesday, May 16th, we're having a, helping host a community picnic along with Urban Light CDC, which is an organization reaching South Central and industry neighborhoods. So that's not for a little while, but we need several folks to help with this. Uh, what I hope we all understand is that this is relational work. We're there to love and to build relationships, not to, like, save the world, okay? Um, there's actually things for us to learn. There are actually different kinds of poverty, right? And we might actually discover, oh, I have some poverty relationally in my own life that I could learn from another individual who is financially poor or whatever. So there's that opportunity. Uh, we need some coaches down at the Ross Center. That's in the Avondale neighborhood to coach baseball or Little League soccer and flag football. The dates are there. So all you do is you scan the QR code. It takes you to a, a website link. Fill your name. The right person will contact you and get you more information. It's also on the website digitally. Go to the homepage. Scroll down just a little bit, and there's a, little, there's a banner here that says, Love Your Neighbor. So I just want to encourage you over the next few weeks to check this out, to stop by the wall in the lobby, to go online, um, to ask yourself, is there something that I could do on a Saturday morning with my family? To say, perhaps our small group could get involved and take some ownership over this community garden or this handyman project or whatever it is. Um, I want to encourage you to get involved. If I put most of these opportunities on a map, you can kind of see where a lot of them fall. There's some at, there's one at Muncie Central, and then there's another one, uh, Southview, and Grissom's off the map, I think. Um, again, a lot of these are located just a little ways south of us as, as a church. Um, I do want to give a huge shout out, a huge thank you to Amy Reed and to Carla Lynch, who really took this idea and ran with it and did all kinds of work behind the scenes to come up with these opportunities and to coordinate them. I also want to say thank you to Joe and Kelly Bales, who did lots of work to like make it look like it looks right now as well. So can we just thank that, that group of people? Really amazing. What does it look like for you, maybe your family, in this season to be more generous with your time? with your talent, with your energy. So we've got opportunities. I hope, I hope you'll, you'll honestly consider them. Second part of this, what does it look like to be more generous with our money? I don't know if you know this, but Lent historically has emphasized three spiritual practices. Prayer, fasting, that's the one everybody hears about when I'm giving up chocolate or giving up alcohol or whatever it is people are giving up. And then the third one, is actually alms giving or giving to the needy. And that is one, especially for modern Protestants that we've kind of forgotten about as a discipline. 
For many, many Christians, almsgiving, giving to the needy was considered a means of grace, actually a way you experience the grace and the presence of Jesus. For sure, it's a way you grow in humility and dependence on God. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, when you, and actually in the original Greek it said, when you give alms, that got updated, modern translations, it now says, when you give to the needy, but what's the key word in that sentence? When, when, he assumes this will be a regular part of our fellowship and our practice and our life together as followers of, of, of Jesus. When you give. So we're asking, how can we intentionally practice giving to the needy in this season where the church has historically made that a point of emphasis? And so we have before us an opportunity this morning, and it's going to kind of go on for the next several weeks. Uh, I want to invite you to pull this card out, and on one side, hopefully you found one on your seat or nearby, it says, Excel in this grace of giving, referencing the passage from this morning. Um, and what I want to do is just show us a quick video. Um, this has to do with urban light, and again, a lot of these opportunities, these gardens, these community meals uh, are under the banner of urban light. That is a church on the south side, but it's also a community development organization doing lots of good to serve these neighborhoods and these folks and people in need just a mile or two from us. So I want to show you a little bit about Urban Light, CDC, and what they're doing and how we can be involved. In the early 2000s, Muncie's South Central neighborhood had been subject to years of disinvestment, resulting in vacant, abandoned homes and a lost sense of community. But a group of young families moved into the area and they saw the great potential of the community. They formed a grassroots movement, building relationships and developing opportunities for social, economic, and spiritual enhancements. These efforts culminated in several self-sustaining organizations, including In-N-Out Cleaning Services, Urban Light Church, Inspire Academy, and in 2010, Urban Light Community Development. Since Urban Light Community Development was founded, We've been rooted in faith as we partner with neighbors to develop a healthy, thriving community. I became acquainted in 2011 with the Urban Light team, and they uh, were uh, very inspiring with what they were doing, and I wanted to be a part of them. The South Central neighborhood has been very much lacking in quality housing throughout the years, and uh, in 2011, I uh, made a commitment to uh, do housing renovations, one house a year for 10 years. Keith and his faithful crew have been a blessing to the neighborhood. Their renovations have turned vacant, blighted homes into safe, affordable rentals and home ownership opportunities. What I have gained from Urban Lights housing renovations is um, stability in a home. Um, I was uh, kind of between homes there for a long time. I just couldn't find somewhere that felt like home. I moved in here, it was affordable. It fit into my budget and it also pushed me to be better and to want um, to be a homeowner. While housing revitalization is one of the most visible, prominent changes in our community, we wanted to do more. The Neighborhood Engagement Committee connects neighbors with each other and with their respective neighborhood associations. The listening portion is very important because you get the feedback, you get the desires of the individuals in the neighborhood. Ultimately, the program is designed to engage and support natural leaders within the South Central Industry and Thomas Park Avondale neighborhoods. 
Our community garden is one of Urban Light's longest running programs. The garden began as a way to engage with the neighbors. It's easy to start conversation when you have something to start conversation about. Whenever I meet my neighbors and start talking to them, that's one of the things that I always bring up is our garden. From listening to neighbors, we will continue to create new initiatives in our three focus areas. Housing revitalization, including the tremendous efforts of Keith and volunteers, neighborhood engagement, like our resident listening initiative and the community garden, and also the Lighthouse Recovery Home. The Lighthouse is a residential recovery program for women here in Muncie that promotes sustainable recovery. Sustainable recovery looks like a balance of physical, mental, emotional, financial, relational, and spiritual health all coming in together. Our faith-based three-phase program restores dignity and develops healthy boundaries with one's own self and with others. If it weren't for the lighthouse today, I'd be dead in prison or in an institution. But because of the lighthouse, I have a whole new life. I have a relationship with my kids again. I have a relationship with my family. I work and pay my bills, and I'm a productive member of society. Several years ago, people would have seen Muncie's Southside neighborhood full of blight. But we saw great potential in kind neighbors that were ready for change. With the support of community members, donors, and volunteers, we're working toward making sustainable change and shedding light on the Southside neighborhoods. We've come a long way, but our work here has only just begun. All right, so here's the challenge. Uh, we have a generosity challenge, and we are, here it is asking you to consider giving one day's wages to Urban Light, specifically to this lighthouse, the home for recovery for women. And you can read about it there. We might have some more information in the lobby. One day's wages, that means you got to, I think that means you got to think about what you make over the year or your household and divide by 365. I didn't know that number off the top of my head. It is, you can find that. Um, and here's why we're doing this. We all want to be generous. We all intend to be generous. We want to care for the poor and the vulnerable. It's just sometimes, kind of like the Corinthians, there's a gap between what we want to do and what we get around to doing. And so it's a challenge for, for all of us as a church. Um, we're going to be collecting this money on the next three Sundays on March 19th. March 26th and April 2nd. That's in person. Starting next week, we'll have envelopes um, that you can make sure it's designated because all, all that money's going to them. Online, there'll be a drop down. And then the following Sunday, April 9th, after these three weeks, does anybody know what April 9th is? That would be Easter. And we hope to celebrate what God has done among us and through us. I hope and pray we can do what what we're able to do, but maybe by the grace of God, we can do more than we're actually able to do, if that makes sense. And so I just want to encourage you. I know that you, this is something you have to talk about, perhaps, um, and figure out, and what's that going to look like. Again, some may give more than that. Some may give less. If you're retired, I, look, I, you, get, you get the idea, right? So I have to figure that out. Um, by the way, that whole story Paul tells the Corinthians about the Macedonians and look how generous they were and all that. In the very next chapter, 
Paul sums it all up and he says, in light of all that, I do want to remind you one thing. He says this, it's a famous line. Each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I would say that applies to all of us in this situation as well. So give what you feel led to give um, to this. I want to leave you with a prayer, and you'll be hearing more about this, of course, in the next three weeks. But we've been, from time to time during this series, we'll give a, a breath prayer. That's, again, something to pray throughout the week or to begin your day to focus on um, the practice or what it is we're looking at in a particular week. And, and here it is for, the, for this week. As you breathe in, the prayer is this, God, grant me a generous heart that I may give with joy, that I may give with joy, that I may become a more generous, joy-filled person. I want to invite Cliff to come up. We're going to celebrate communion here in our final few moments. i also like to ask the volunteers who are serving at, at the stations around the room uh, to make their way up as well. Just a very simple thought, a very simple meditation to lead us into our time of communion. Again, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, this is the ultimate motivation for why we give, for why we serve. Um, it's because of what God has done for us. He says, you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, and he didn't have to do it, he chose to do it. Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich, might experience life and hope, forgiveness, reconciliation with your maker, with God through him. And so as you come to the table this morning, I just want us to ask, God, in light of what I have been given, in light of your unbelievable generosity toward me. God, are you, how are you asking me to respond with my neighbors, where I work, with the needs in my community? How can I put into practice uh, what you've demonstrated already to me on my behalf? So I invite you to come to the table. I want to pray here, and then you'll be invited to come forward with that posture, um, with that question God, where are you leading me to be more generous? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just we thank you for your unbelievable generosity toward us. Not just providing us life and breath and the many, many things that we have to be grateful for but God ultimately giving us your son, Jesus, his life, Lord, your death, your resurrection on our behalf, that you showed us what it looks like um, to show up in person to help heal this broken, broken world. God, I pray that you would help move us um, in light of what we've received from you to become more generous open-handed, free-spirited, joyful people. 
that you'd help us reframe um, in many ways our obsession with stuff and our obsession with money, that you'd help us to open our hands and let go and to experience a deeper joy and deeper life with you. Lord, show us uh, what you're asking each one of us to do um, and give us the courage to follow you and to say yes. It's in Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen.